I'd like to ask if you would stand for the reading of God's word from which Pastor Wayne will be preaching this morning. It comes from Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked. When you were living in them, you too walked when you were living in them. By now you must put them away, all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, gather now to hear your word proclaimed, we ask that you open our hearts, our ears, our eyes, and our minds, that we might receive these words. We thank you for Pastor Wayne, his preparation, and we ask you to use him in a mighty way just now as he speaks on this passage. We ask that these words might become even more alive and more real in each of our lives. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, writing to the church at Colossae, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, if you're a Christian, that's verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, what do you do? He says, set your mind. Why? As a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. So set your mind on things above, verse 2, not on legalism, not on mysticism, not on asceticism. If Christ is your life, that's verse 4, what is your focus? Well, our text begins today with put to death what is earthly in you. Francis Assisi uh, referred to his fleshly desires as brother ass. He says the old habits from our old way of thinking that, has, um, that, that needs to be brought into conformity with our new nature stubbornly resist. He said, I, I tell myself, be more patient. Be more loving. Be kinder. And my old self responds, Ee-aw. Our new nature, due to our faith in Christ, we're, we're trying to turn off these impulses like you're turning off a, a radio to stop the incoming messages, like a corpse is unresponsive to the world around it. We try, we try, we try to put to death aspects of our life that just no longer fits with who we are. Now this word here, put to death, is necrosati. From ne that's the word from which we get necromancy. That means communicating with the dead. And it's often misunderstood. Uh, it's in the aorist imperative, which is a verb describing a result from the past that leads to present actions. And when I say it's often misunderstood, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, theologians like uh, Origen from back in the third century. He castrated himself. Why? Well, because of what Christ said in Matthew 19. He said, some are born eunuchs, others became eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Well, eunuchs were eh, pretty common back in that day because rulers wanted to remove any and all temptation from those who were overseeing their harems from engaging with the harems. And so they would castrate them, make them eunuchs. Now, Christ's point was very simple. 
He says, some choose to live as if they are a eunuch by not marrying in order to be more available to travel and do ministry. But those who didn't understand his point would then mutilate their body in order to try to bring their mind in line with who they were in Christ. And that can't be done. It can't be done. Paul's already made the point that, that asceticism does not change the heart. Mutilating the body, physical dismemberment, cannot change the heart. Why? Well, the body's not the problem. The body is not the problem. It's the mind that is the problem. It's the way we think. So his point is, if your mind, if your life has been changed through faith in Christ, the way you use your body now is brought into alignment with the new nature that you've received from Christ, right? So in verse 1, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, what do you do? Set your mind on things above, verse 2. Why? Well, you have to spiritually die to the old way that you used to think. That's verse 3. Christ Verse 4, who is your life, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, beginning with sexual immorality. Now, this word, pranayan, is where we get the word pornography. Why do you think that sexual immorality is first on the list? You know, he wrote to the church there in Corinth. He said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, don't be deceived about this, he said, neither the sexually immoral. Why, why would he say that to the church at Corinth? Why, why does he say that to the church at uh, Thessalonica? Abstain from fornication. Whoever rejects this is not rejecting man, but is rejecting God himself. Well, why does he say to the churches of Galatia that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why does he say that to the church at Ephesus? Everyone who is sexually immoral has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You know, when Christ said, it is not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. The first thing that was on the list was sexual immorality. I mean, this is the reason that Peter says the central thing that corrupts the world is lust. Therefore, the first thing that a Christian has to deal with is being sexually pure. You remember um, the Broadway play back in the 70s that became a movie in the 80s? Young girl, wholesome, pure, innocent. And at the end, she forsakes her innocence and she sings, Look at me, I'm Sandra D." And she puts on her leather pants and her jacket and seduces John Travolta. Who was that? Olivia Newton-John, right. What's the, the play? Grease. You know, that's one of the many oldies that makes evil good and good evil. Uh, it makes morality look stupid. It glorifies as the in thing immorality. You know, it used to be, folks, that you had to be real careful what you allowed your children to watch on television, especially the commercials. But now, you better watch a bunch of other things too, like what they're seeing on their phones, what they're hearing at school, 
I read this week, young lady, 12 years old, Chloe Cole is her name. She was recruited by her friends and adults in her school. She was recruited to change her gender. When they went to her parents to get permission, her parents did not want to grant permission. They did not agree with it. They did not want her to do this, and they were threatened. They were told, if you don't do this, I'm telling you, your daughter will commit suicide. So you are better off to have an alive son than to have a dead daughter. And so the parents relinquished, did what they knew was wrong. And the mutilization that they put her through is criminal. It's on the level with what went on in Nazi Germany. And they did this to her when she was 15 years old. Today she's 18. And she regrets what they talked her into. And she's trying to reverse it. The problem is she's got a lot of health problems. And so she lives in California, and so she went and spoke before the California General Assembly back in June to be, she wanted to voice her opposition to a bill that's being introduced in California that alleviates any responsibility of adults, whether they are school officials, whether they are doctors, whether they are parents, whoever it is, all adults are relieved of any responsibility when a child is mutilated in this transgender indoctrination that is going on. And she said, I'm here to oppose that because of what has happened to me. She also spoke in Florida. There was a bill being proposed there that blocked Medicaid funds for being used to disfigure children. And she was in favor of that bill. Folks, we were created to procreate. So there are natural desires that, that when used as designed by a holy God, it's a good thing. When you pervert that, when fallen men pervert that, it's a disaster. It's a disaster in every aspect. Let me give you a couple of biblical reasons for why it's absolutely essential for Christians to be sexually pure. Number one, sexual immorality violates the Lord's divinely designed purpose for marriage. You know, when Adam and Eve were created, they were unashamed. They saw each other, had normal desires. And when they were in a right relationship with the Lord, they were not embarrassed. That's the way they were designed. There was a purpose behind it. That's why in Israel, when a couple would get married, they retired immediately to what was called the wedding chamber. And the rest of the guests, while they celebrated, the two became one. And then they came out and joined the rest of the guests. Now, wedding guests at Christian ceremonies today find that a bit awkward. So we stick with the time-honored Gentile tradition where we, we all gather and eat and cut the cake and then you leave and we leave too. But you know, when you take what the Lord created, specifically designed to be a good thing within marriage, you take that and you pervert it for the gratification of the flesh. What you are saying is, Lord, I am my own God here. 
I don't care what your will is for your creation. This is what I am going to do. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Second reason is sexual immorality violates the Lord's divinely designed purpose for the body. We're created in God's image, folks. Our bodies are designed to be finite representations of what is infinitely true of him. The Lord is a personable being. That's the reason you have feelings and emotions. The Bible says the Lord sees. That's why we're created with eyes. The Lord hears. That's why we're created with ears. The Bible says he created the heavens and the earth and every living creature. That's why he has given us the ability to procreate and bring forth life. Those redeemed by his grace through faith are joined with Christ as a part of his body. Therefore, when the Lord wants to give and help someone, how does he do it? He uses your hands. When he wants to encourage them, he uses your tongues. When he wants to meet their needs, he uses your feet. Our bodies belong to him. We need to keep that in mind when we read his word. Listen to this. Uh, this is in the letter that was written to the church there at Corinth. Chapter 6. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Don't you understand that? As it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Therefore, un, there's that word again. Over 500 times in the New Testament. There is therefore a reason what is it there for? Flee sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from the Lord? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify the Lord in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 16 to 20. This body, created by the Lord and dwelt by the Lord, will be raised in glory with the Lord is united with him in Christ. Verse 4, who is your life? Thus our bodies are to be used according to his divine design. Now to not do that is to rebel. I mean, see, David understood that. That's why David said after he committed adultery, he said, Lord, I have sinned against you. He sinned against Uriah, who lost his life in all of that. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Eliam, her father. He sinned against Ahithophel. He sinned against uh, the, the rest of the, the kingdom, which, by the way, goes downhill after that. But he said, who I actually sinned against was you, Lord. That's who I sinned against. Now watch this progression. He's going to start with the behavior and traces the reason for that behavior to the motive. The behavior that's to be put to death is sexual immorality. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, he first tells you, how did you get there? What causes you to do that? Well, impurity. Where's impurity come from? What comes out of the passions that you have? Where do those passions come from? From the desires? Yeah. Well, where do these desires come from? They come from you coveting. You covet. Where does coveting come from? Where does it all originate? Which is idolatry. It's idolatry. 
Sexual immorality is anything outside the Lord's divine purpose for creating man and woman to function as one within the bonds of marriage. Impurity is anything unclean. Where does sexual immorality come from? It comes from impure thoughts within us that then lead to the immoral actions. Now this is being sent to the church that was within the Roman Empire. What was the culture like in Rome? Throughout the empire, there was homosexuality. There was pedophilia. There were even, there were even pagan temples of worship that had temple prostitutes there. This is the way you could worship their God was by engaging in sexual immorality. I mean, these people are spiritually dead, dwelling in darkness. And this is the culture in which these Christians find themselves. This is their environment. And all he's saying is that's not who you are in Christ. That's not who you are. Acts of sexual immorality come from impure thoughts that grow out of passions deep within a soul that is in rebellion. And those, those, those passions come from evil desires. It's what John called the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, what activates these evil desires? What inflames these passions that produces thoughts that result in immoral behavior? What is it? Well, the word for greed here, pleonoxian, this is the last sin in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments. This is the sin that Lucifer committed. This is what got him thrown out. It comes from two words, pleon, which is more, and exion, to have. This word for greed is the desire to have more. It's the opposite of being content. Now, when play Noxian is directed towards money, what will, what will people do? Some people steal. Some people embezzle. Some people uh, work 80 hours a week and ignore their family. Uh, some people will uh, do all kinds of things to, to, just get, to just get more. Where's that come from, play Noxian? When, it, when it's directed towards ambition, what will they do? You hear people boast? promote themselves, do whatever they have to do to intimidate and exploit others for their benefit. When it's directed towards the body, what does greed do? When it's directed toward the body, it engages in sexual immorality. That's why Christ says, if you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. Why? It's coming out of your heart. A heart that is very self-centered. It's idolatry. People who say, well, you know, it, it, it can't be wrong that I am attracted to, to the same sex. Because I, I just feel, it just feels so right. It can't be wrong that I'm attracted to children under 18. Because it feels so right. It, it can't be wrong that I'm attracted to co-workers instead of my spouse. Because it feels so right. Of course it feels right. Of course you're attracted to those acts of rebellion. Why? It's the condition of your heart. This is where it all starts. You are an idolater. You're an idolater. 
You're not interested in the God who created you. You're interested in you. This is where the pathological process begins. With the first commandment, you shall have no other God, including you. What's the last commandment? Do not covet. Why? Because that Plenoxian summarizes all of the other commandments. And the tenth commandment breaks the first. It all starts in the heart, Paul says. So if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, that's verse one, if, then set your minds above, that's verse two. Christ is your life, verse four, verse three, or four. Then put to death what is earthly within you, verse five. If you are transitioning from a life that loves you to a life that loves the Lord, the root of your self-worship, which is idolatry, it's got to die. It has to die. Do you see why we have no ability to live the Christian life based on Sunday morning pep talks? This is why the seeker-sensitive stuff just doesn't work, folks. To, to tell you what you want to hear, to build you up, to make you feel better about you. You're the problem. Self-love is the problem. Idolatry has to be put to death, not encouraged. And look how serious this is. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These acts of rebellion from immorality to idolatry, they're going to be appropriately dealt with in due time. Why? Because the Lord is holy. Look, you're either going to experience his grace in Christ's atoning death, which brings about a transformation of your life, or you're going to experience his wrath because he is holy. He has no other choice but to be just with you. So judgment is coming. You know, right into the Roman church, Paul said, your unrepentant heart is storing up wrath against you. And each person is going to be held accountable. That's chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those awaiting him. Therefore, make a note. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Now, he's already dealt with the heart. He's, he showed you the behavior and worked back to the motive, right? Now he's going to give you another list. And this is going to, to um, begin with the motive and work forward to the behavior. And so he, he's dealt with what's in the heart. That, that's idolatry. Now, look at what, how it manifests itself. He says... Put these things away. And this is the word for taking off garments that were so soiled they weren't worth wearing anymore. You throw them away. He begins with orge, smoldering hostility. This is where you're angry. Somebody's offended you. Somebody has offended you and you're angry. And in your idolatrous heart, your love of self, you resent it enough that it just it begins to build towards thuman, which is wrath. 
that explodes into fury. This is the Greek uh, word that they would use for when grass or straw would quickly burst into flames. And you know where it leads? To malice. That anger that's residing in your heart that turns into malice is now going to lead to slander. And this is the word for blasphemy. And how does slander appear through abusive speech? And on top of all of it are lies. Verse 9. All of these things protect you. Self-worship. I mean, this is the reason that Satan lied to Eve to, to, to defend, to, to deceive what the truth was about him. And what did Adam and Eve do? Well, they lied too to evade responsibility, to hide the sin that they had committed. And what did, they, what did their children do? Well, Cain, he lied about murdering his brother Abel. And it's not just them. If you go on out a little further, you get to Abraham. Abraham, oh yeah, he's called out from the gods of his father, but yet he lies about Sarah being his wife. And so what Sarah do? Well, she lies to the angels. And then their son Isaac, what does he do? Well, he lies too about Rebekah being his wife. And then she lies about the, the, the conspiracy of Jacob against Esau. And they're all lying. If you keep reading, you find that there's lies throughout. It all started there in the garden. I mean, what I just went through there, we're still in the book of Genesis. From the garden throughout human history, the father of lies, of whom Christ spoke in John 8, the father of lies is the God of this world. And he's saying that's what you've been saved from. Therefore, you've got to discard this stuff from your life. You've got to get rid of this nasty, smelly stuff that no longer is who you are in Christ. Now, if you're saying, well, I, I don't really want to, to live that, that kind of life any longer, but, but how do I put old habits to death? I mean, how, how do I discard this old nasty stuff? I mean, it's, it's just such a habit. The way I think, the way I speak, that's the point of the text. That's the point of the text. You have to put to death where it starts. That's idolatry. You're going to have to go from love of self to love of Christ. And, and, and you, you start recognizing these old habits and attitudes. They just don't fit with who you are anymore. Why? Because the more you love Christ, the more you say with the Apostle Paul, I hate doing things I ought not do. And I hate not doing things I really ought to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, sin is nothing more than the manifestation of self-worship. And so he says, you've got to deal with the idolatry that's in your heart. And you've got to discard all those expressions of self-love that keep coming out of your mouth. Jonathan Edwards, believed by many to be the greatest American-born theologian, who was very instrumental in the first great awakening that prepared our founding fathers um, for the establishment of the republic that you have been given and that certainly is in jeopardy at this moment. But he had a daughter who had an uncontrolled temper. And so when a, a young man asked Edwards for her hand in marriage, Edwards said, no. The young man said, why? He said, sir, I love her and she loves me. And Edwards said, that's fine. That's fine. But she ought not to marry you. 
And he said, but sir, she's a Christian and I'm a Christian. And so why would you, why would you oppose us coming together? And Edward said, the grace of God being divine can dwell in patience with some people whom others should never have to live with. He believed that her unrestrained tongue, her uncontrolled temper disqualified her. Self, selfish anger is an indication of self-love. It's a form of idolatry. This is the reason the Holy Spirit through Paul says to the church at Rome, don't you take uh, vengeance for yourself. You leave that to the Lord. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's Romans 12, verse 19. If you don't do this, your anger turns to wrath. The wrath will turn into malice. That's kakia. That's the word uh, from which we get carcinoma, cancer. And verbal cancer spreads through slander. The word slander here is blasphemia, from which we get the word blasphemy. The Greek word dia means across, through. When you combine it with balo, which means to throw, you get diabalo. Diabolos. What is diabolos? Translated into English. Devil. He's the one who verbally throws slanderous words of accusation. And then Paul gives us the word for foul mouth abuse. <laughs> do, 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 do you see the progression here? It, it starts with selfish anger. And it ends with bearing false witness. That's breaking the ninth commandment. Because it's all wrapped up in the first commandment of idolatry. In the early church, a visual symbol of putting these things away was uh, at the baptismal service. You know, just as a water baptism is kind of a symbol of being buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life, uh, they would also, they would arrive... Uh, for baptism in these really nasty, grungy clothes. And they would take them off and put on a white robe. Again, a visual outward expression of what inwardly was taking place. Let me ask you, is there anybody here who is still suffering from a painful childhood? painful marriage painful job where somebody crushed your spirit crushed you with that foul odor that just came out of the sewage of their heart just verbally chopped you you know the tongue divides and the tongue destroys it's a deadly member like a wildfire James says you know one pastor had to leave his church because a woman started rumors about him. He had not done anything wrong, but the false accusations that she made caused so much damage he had no choice. She eventually, later, when some of it began to come out, that she's a liar, 
she eventually came around to his house to apologize. And he very graciously accepted her apology. But to demonstrate why he could not stay at the church, he went inside and came back out with a pillow and a knife. And he cut open this feathered pillow. And the wind immediately blew the feathers everywhere. And he asked her if she could gather those feathers for him and put them back in the pillowcase. And as they're just flying all over, she said, no, I can't do that. And he said, and neither can you gather up all the rumors that have spread as a result of the lies that have been told and bring them back into their proper context. They've scattered to the wind. The tongue divides, destroys, and defiles, which is why some who call themselves Christian, they'll call themselves Christian, and yet they have spiritual B.O. Now, people don't like being around them because their tongue is so caustic. A couple came in for marriage counseling and was asked, when, does the pro- when did the problems begin to start? And the husband quickly quipped, the day we got married, thinking he was being very clever to get his digs in early. The counselor asked the wife, how does that make you feel? And she said, well, I feel like a fool. I feel like a fool for marrying this guy. And the counselor turned back to this genius who thought he was all that in a bag of chips and said, you know, some people ought never to get married and you are among the few, the proud and the ignorant that should never, never engage with another human in marriage. Sometimes people justify their words by saying, well, I'm just saying what I feel. At least they know where I stand. I'm just being honest. My advice to you is don't you take what the Bible calls evil and try to make it a virtue. Give me chapter and verse on where the Bible tells you to say whatever you think, to say whatever you feel, especially when it's coming out of an idolatrous heart. James says the Christian bridles his tongue, bridles it, brings it under control. He said, if you don't, your religion is worthless. That's James 1.26. You see what the Holy Spirit is saying here through Paul? If, if you are in Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, okay? If you are born again, Christ is your life, verse 4. That's not a philosophical matter. It's not a mystical experience. It's not an issue of legalism or asceticism. Your life in Christ is constantly putting to death the old nature, which begins with destroying the idolatry that is residing in your heart. Because it's the idolatry that is producing the immoral thoughts, the impure thoughts and immoral behavior. It's what's generating ungodly speech. 
Now the question is, is where do we start? How do we do this? Well, he's told us. He's told us how to do this. He tells us where it starts. Think on these things above. The truths of God's word. Don't let the culture indoctrinate you. To where all of a sudden you're starting to think like they think. Because as a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. You can't allow that to happen. What's in your heart dictates how you live. It controls your speech. It motivates your behavior. It determines your morality. So who are you living for? I asked that question in the first service. I said, are you living for you or for Christ? One of our college young men who goes to a university outside of Lexington and um, drives home every weekend in order to be in worship with his family here. And he said, I tell you what, everything you talked about this morning is exactly what is happening on my campus. He said, they are trying to indoctrinate us. And he said, they are pushing this whole transgender agenda. And he said, they took a young man who says that he is now a young lady and put him in a room with a young lady. And it didn't go well. And in two weeks, said the whole administration was having to get involved cleaning up the mess that they made. He said, you're absolutely right. What the scripture says, I am now seeing before my very eyes. I said, how are you handling it? He said, I went to the transgender person that was causing all this problem and had compassion for how they have been misled and how lost they were and invited them to go to church with me. Go home with me and go to my church. I said, good for you. Good for you. If you are a Christian, it is a fact, not an option, it is a fact. You're continually putting to death this old stuff. You're not letting the culture define you. And your new life in Christ demands that this death occurs. Because the Holy Spirit cannot reside with that stuff in your life. Can't do it. That's what motivated Paul to say, oh wretched man that I am. He's talking about all that stuff that still needed to be put to death in his life, that he might be all that Christ had called him to be. Yes, the Apostle Paul. The same is true for me and for you. Secondly, keep in mind what is at stake here. The world's approach will be properly judged. On account of these things, the wrath of a holy God is, is one day, is one day, going to be manifested eternity is a long time folks thirdly put away the sins of anger before they turn into wrath malice slander obscene talk and lies he's simply saying that's not who you are anymore that might have characterized you in the past not in the present if you have any questions, you can go to the Connect table. You can come see me this week. I'll be glad to meet with you. Or really, any of our elders or pastors would be glad to do that. But for now, let's just stand and pray together. Lord, it's been a real joy and a privilege to come together to sing. It's an honor to be able to come before you and pray.
And it's also painful to listen to your word. Because, Lord, we we do want to be a sanctified people who are eager to walk in your ways. And yet, like the Apostle Paul, we see we see, see lingering aspects of the soiled attitudes and behaviors that once characterized us, and we don't want to be that person anymore. So we want to thank you. Thank you for warning us about the idolatry that resides in our heart. That's really at the heart of all of it. Thank you for telling us the truth. And we pray now, Lord, for you to give us the will to kill everything in our lives that does not bring honor and glory to your name. Father, we ask that prayer this morning in the name of Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.